Good morning. Well, we're here on our last Sunday before Christmas. We've been going through a series looking at many of the things that we talk a lot about, mainly around Christmas time. We've talked about hope, love. This morning, we're going to look at joy and peace. And, and what we've done is we've tried to unwrap these things that God has blessed us with, that often we hear about and we talk about at the Christmas season. And if you're anything like me, sometimes throughout the year, those, those thoughts about these things sort of fade a little bit. So we've looked at God's desire for us to have hope every single day, that we could embrace that hope, that we could experience His love in very real and practical ways. And this morning, we're going to be unwrapping joy and what it looks like to experience God's joy in our life every single day. And I can tell you, there's no better way to experience that joy than what we celebrate at Christmas time, the birth of Jesus Christ. I think about Luke chapter 2, verse 10. How many of you guys remember it's Christmas time, Charlie Brown? Anybody? Where Linus steps out on stage and he delivers the meaning of Christmas. And he quotes from Luke chapter 2 and he gets to the part, one of my favorite parts, where he talks about the shepherds and the angels come to the shepherds and they say, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy. And that great joy that they brought was certainly good news because the good news that they brought was that God had sent his son to this earth to be born as a baby, to live a sinless life, and to one day die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin. That is great news. And that does bring us lots of joy. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but every once in a while, I have some things that kind of crowd out the joy in my life, that I get busy with stuff or I get distracted by something. And I have to say that this last week, it started as a really rough week for me. I wasn't feeling well on Monday, just had a couple things that just kind of brought me down. I was a little bit blue and kind of bummed out. And and I really believe that um, God kind of used my preparation for this message to really get my attention. Uh, I once heard a story about a farmer who this is back before the days of tractors. He needed a way to, to get his plow um, hooked up to a mule and plowed. His mule that he had was too old and it wouldn't pull the plow anymore. So he goes over to his neighbor. He says, look, I know you've got a couple mules. I want to buy one from you. Whichever one's your best one, I'll, I'll pay you whatever, double the, the market price. I just got to get my field plow. So he buys the mule from his neighbor, takes it over to his house He hooks it up to the harness, he gets it set up, he's ready to plow, and he takes the reins, and he cracks the the mule on the backside and says, get up! The mule just stands there. He's like, well, maybe maybe I didn't do it hard enough. So he takes takes the reins again, and this time he whips it as hard as he can. He says, get up there! The mule just stands there. So after about 30, 45 minutes of continuing to try to get this mule to go, he's tried pushing it, he's tried poking it with a stick. Nothing he can do can get this mule to go. So he goes over to his neighbor and he's mad. He says, look, I want my money back. You sold me a defective mule. This mule will not, will not plow for anything. I can't even get it to move. And his neighbor says, listen, I'll, I'll come over and I'll show you how to get it to move. So he comes over and the, the neighbor looks at the mule and says, uh, do you have a two-by-four? And the farmer's like, what do you need a two-by-four for? Just get my mule going. He says, just get me the two-by-four. So the neighbor goes over. He takes the two-by-four. He stands in front of the mule. And he rears back as far as he can. And then he smacks the mule right between the eyes. And then he grabs the rein and says, get up. And that mule takes off. And he looks at the farmer and says, 
you've got to get his attention first. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times in my life where I feel like God smacks me right between the eyes because he's trying to get my attention. And this last week was one of those. I was bummed out. I was down. I was blue. And then it was like a two by four right between the eyes of God getting my attention, reminding me that the joy that he wants me to experience isn't just about looking forward to the day when I get to heaven, but he wants me to experience joy every single day. So this morning as we look at John chapter 16, we're going to unwrap joy. We're going to look at how the joy that God desires for us to have can impact every single day of our life. Let's look at John chapter 16 beginning in verse 20. Jesus says, I assure you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because, of, because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will rob you of your joy. Let's stop right there. A little bit of background on what's going on here. This is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's already eaten the Last Supper with his disciples, and he's on his way to the garden. He's kind of giving them his final instructions, and he knows what's coming. He knows that in just a matter of hours, he's going to be betrayed by one of his very own disciples. He's going to be handed over, and he's going to be crucified the next day. And he knows all this is coming, and so he's warning his disciples. I love that he, he just tells them like it is. He says, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to experience this. You're going to go through some pain. You're going to go through some sorrow, but it's going to get better. It's going to be- get better. Something is going to happen that's going to change everything. As you look through this passage, you'll notice that Jesus uses words like sorrow, uh, weep, lament, mourn, pain, anguish. He uses these words about seven times, and every single time, that he uses those words. It's connected to joy. He connects sorrow and anguish and pain to joy every single time. I don't know about your experience, but in my experience, often the greatest joy follows the greatest suffering. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you are about to suffer something like never before. Your your leader, your teacher, your Lord, your Savior is going to be crucified. But it's okay. Because after I've risen and after I've come back, you will experience joy like you've never experienced when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what I love is, is that Jesus talks about how not, not that their, their sorrow is going to be substituted with joy, but it's going to be transformed into joy. The very thing that brought the sorrow and brings the pain is going to be the very thing that also brings the joy. And I love his illustration here. Love his illustration. And I think it's, it's funny that he's talking, remember, he's talking to 11 men about childbirth. Anybody else find that funny? I think it's pretty funny. I can just imagine Jesus walking along and he's, he's talking to them about sorrow turning to joy. And he says, hey, you guys know what it's like. You know, you, you have a baby, it hurts really bad. And then you look at the baby and it feels good. You guys know what it's like. And I can picture Peter saying, oh, yes, Lord, I, I completely understand that pain. You know, Peter's kind of the hot shot, always stepping forward, putting his foot in his mouth. But it's just kind of funny because he's talking to 11 men about the pain of childbirth. And what's even funnier is that he says that when she sees the baby, when the mother sees the baby, she no longer remembers her pain. Now, I've never had a baby, 
But I'm willing to bet that any lady here that has given birth will never forget the pain of childbirth, especially when you're talking in the days before the nice little drugs that they give you when you're having a baby. But Jesus is making a point here. He's saying, look, the baby that the woman is giving birth to brings her a great deal of pain, a great deal of anguish. But the moment she sees that baby, the very thing that brought pain to her is now the thing that brings her joy. And her pain and her sorrow is transformed into joy. And this is what I love, is that God gives us joy through transformation. Our joy comes through transformation, not substitution. He doesn't substitute one thing for another. No, he takes the very thing that's causing us pain and he transforms it into joy. I think a lot about... uh, kids when I think about this, if you think about substitution versus transformation. And I think about the little kid who's, who's got a toy and it's his favorite toy and it breaks. And mom and dad rush out and they get him a brand new toy. Or he's playing with a friend and it's time for the friend to go home. And so he throws a tantrum and mom gets on the phone and she calls for another friend to come over just to keep the kid happy. What happens to that kid? Becomes a spoiled brat, doesn't he? Right? Nobody, you probably going home for Christmas, you're going to have nieces and nephews, maybe grandkids that are like that. You know, they're spoiled brats. Mom and dad fix everything. And the kid grows up thinking, you know what? Uh, Mom and dad will just fix it. Or what I need to do is I need to get more stuff because that'll finally make me happy. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't substitute one thing for another. No, he takes our sorrow and our pain and he transforms it into joy. And for me, I can think of no greater example of this than the gospel itself. Because I was very young when I put my trust in Jesus Christ. But I can remember sitting in my bedroom a couple days before Christmas. And I I remember that feeling of great anguish and sorrow and desperation when I realized that I was a sinner. And that my sin had separated me from God. And I realized that there was absolutely nothing that I could do to earn God's favor. There was nothing I could do to earn his forgiveness. There were no amount of church services or Sunday school classes I could go to. There wasn't any amount of money that I could give. There was not any number of good things that I could do that would allow me to have a relationship with God because I was a sinner. But it was that very pain and sorrow and desperation that I felt that God transformed into joy when I realized that what we were about to celebrate a few days later at Christmas, the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, the son of God, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, the very sin that was causing me pain and anguish and sorrow. God used that situation and transformed it to joy. As I put my trust in Jesus Christ and realized that the penalty for my sin had been paid, simply by trusting in Jesus Christ, I now had relationship with him. We see the same thing in our Christian walk. There are many of you here who've, who've long ago trusted Christ. And in our Christian walk, we often face a number of trials. And it's through those trials that we see God begin to transform those into things that eventually bring us joy. God takes the impossible situation. He adds the miracle of his grace and he transforms our trials into triumph and our sorrow into joy. Every single one of us will face difficult situations. Every single one of us here will have those situations and it's, 
It's up to us to rely on him and to watch as God works and transforms our sorrow into joy. If joy is sorrow which God has transformed, then we should look at our trials, we should endure the sorrow and experience the joy that God has for us. Remember that times of trial are times that we're called to trust. And that trust will lead to transformation. Let's look again at chapter 16, beginning again in verse 22. What else does God have for us in his joy? 22 says, So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will rob you of your joy. In that day you will not ask me anything. I assure you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name, and you ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. So that your joy may be complete. What I love about these verses here is they tell us that the joy that we have is lasting and complete. We have, we are given a joy that is lasting and complete. Verse 22, Jesus says that no one will rob you of your joy. Now, I don't know about you, but in my lifetime, I've experienced a lot of temporary and incomplete joy. The things of this world are always temporary and they always leave us wanting more. It's always lacking. And I experienced that in a very real way this past week. I was, uh, Friday, I was in HEB and I was picking up a couple things, got a little hungry, and I happened to walk down the candy aisle and I saw one of my absolute favorite things this time of year, the Reese's Snowman. Anybody ever had one of these? Oh my goodness. That, that's almost actual size, but I, I love these Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. They're my favorite candy. I love the special editions at Christmas. You get the Christmas tree. You get the pumpkins at Halloween. You get the eggs at Easter. I love them. And there's something special about these, uh, these, these snowmen and the, the trees and the eggs. There's something special about them. I think it's the ratio of chocolate to peanut butter that's a little bit different that just makes them that much better. So I picked this thing up off the shelf. And I get into my car, and I'm driving out of the parking lot. By the time I'm exiting the parking lot, I've got this little foil snowman. I can already smell the chocolate and the peanut butter, and I think I'm starting to drool a little bit. And I'm not going to lie to you. In the time that it took me to get from the exit of HEB and sit through one stoplight, it was gone. The entire thing was gone. All right. In this case, my joy kind of turned to sorrow. Because the next thing I did was I flipped over the back of that box and I looked, and there's 170 calories per serving. Anyone want to guess how many servings there are in that box? There's four. Four servings. And I ate the whole dang thing. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I ate the whole thing. Four servings. It was, it was not good when I realized that I had just consumed one-third of my daily calories in about five minutes. And it didn't last. It didn't last. Pretty soon, my stomach hurt. I was hungry again. I wanted something else to eat, but I realized I couldn't eat for like the next week because I'd already consumed all my calories. It wasn't lasting. It left me incomplete. Saturday, I woke up. I was like, you know, I could probably go for another one of those Reese's snowmen. <laughs> it, was, it was not lasting. It was not complete. It left me lacking and it left me empty. And I love that Jesus says, he says, no one will rob you of your joy. And we looked at this verse last week, John 10, 10. 
We looked at the last half last week, but the first part of that verse says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, but I came that you, may, you would have life and have it abundantly. I had a really good friend that I worked with at another church. Um, he's older than I am, much wiser than I am. And he used to always say that the thief comes to steal our joy, kill the relationships we should be having, and destroy our trust in God. And if you're anything like me, those things kind of follow one after another. As I begin to lose my joy, I begin to pull away from the relationships that I should be having. And pretty soon I'm alone, I'm isolated, and it begins to destroy my trust in God. But I thought it was interesting that the thief comes to steal our joy. And there are a number of things that Satan uses to distract us and to try to steal our joy. Sometimes it's just circumstances. Sometimes he uses other people. Sometimes he, he uses things to distract us. Whatever it is, there are things that enter into our life that can begin to steal away our joy. But Jesus says, the joy that I give you, no one can rob you of that. No one can rob you of that. But unfortunately for us, we get distracted and we, we tend to forget. But I think Jesus gives us the key into maintaining that lasting and complete joy that's able to transform us. And he gives it to us in this same passage where he begins to talk about prayer. He begins to talk about prayer. And he says, up to this point, you have not prayed in my name. You've not prayed in my name, but if you pray in my name, then you will receive. So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? I think we've all seen the televangelist, right? And we've heard him, we've heard him, you turn on TBN, in Jesus' name right? We've all seen the little kid who's, who's praying before his meal, and you're not sure if it's all one word, but he says, in Jesus' name, amen, right? He just kind of runs through it. So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Well, to pray in Jesus' name means that we're praying in, in line with his will, his mission, and his purpose for our lives, And so to pray in Jesus' name, when we think about praying in Jesus' name, I think about Luke 19.10, where Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not that we have a blank check to ask God for whatever we want, and we say, hey, I said Jesus' name at the end, and I rub my rabbit's foot. You know, it's, it's like this lucky charm that I have. You've got to give me what I want, because I said in Jesus' name. No. To pray in Jesus' name means that we pray in line with his character and his purposes. And the greatest example of that that I can think of is that we would pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ. That we would pray for the lost. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. So to pray in Jesus' name, first and foremost for me, means that we're praying for the lost. And I challenge you this morning, if you're here and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, do you have three people that you're praying for by name that they would put their trust in Jesus Christ? And are you praying in Jesus' name, Lord, if it's your will? What I love is Jesus tells them at the end, he says, ask and you'll receive. He doesn't tell them what they'll receive. He makes no guarantee that you're going to get what you ask for. Because there are a number of times that we pray for good things. We pray for godly things. But God's answer to us is different than the one that we want or expect. Sometimes we pray for people to get healed from, from sickness, yet they still pass away. We pray for a marriage to be restored, yet it still ends in divorce. Or we pray for our friends to come to know Christ, 
and we just see that there's no change in their relationship. A few years ago, my grandmother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and we began praying, God, would you heal Nanny? Please heal Nanny. My whole family was praying for her. And a few months later, she ended up dying. But through that, I received the opportunity to stand in front of my extended family, many of whom don't know Christ. And I had the opportunity to preach the gospel at her funeral and make sure that every single one of my family had heard the gospel. Shortly after I graduated college, I had one of my best friends. He was my hunting buddy. We used to show up to our 8 o'clock class in our duck waders coming off Stillhouse Hollow Dam. And uh, he and I were best friends. And right after we graduated, I got married and then he got married. And I got a call uh, about six months into his marriage. And he told me some things that were going on. That his wife had decided that she liked being single and dating more than she liked being married. And so she was dating a few other men. And people from their church had caught her. He had run into her himself when she was out on a date. And he was praying. He was doing everything he could, seeking counseling, doing everything he could to fight for his marriage, asking God to to restore his marriage. Yet it still ended in divorce. But through that process, I saw my best friend grow in his faith in Jesus Christ. That his relationship with God has never been the same Because God took that sorrow and that pain and he transformed it into something for his purpose. I have prayed for a number of my friends to trust Christ and I've prayed that God would give me the opportunity to share Christ with them. Not all of them have. There are still some that I'm praying for, I've been praying for for years and they haven't come to know Christ. But I can tell you this, every single time that I pray and I ask God, Lord, just give me the opportunity to share. I receive not only that opportunity, but I receive the boldness that I need to be able to proclaim the gospel to them. Because even though I'm a pastor, can I let you in on a little secret? My heart still races and my hands still get sweaty anytime I talk to someone about Jesus. And you may be thinking, well, that's what you do for a living. How can you, how can you get nervous? But it's still, my heart beats faster. My palms get sweaty when I'm, whenever I'm talking one-on-one with someone about Jesus because I don't know what's going to happen. And even though I haven't seen all my friends that I've prayed for come to know Christ, in every single situation, I receive boldness. And there's something even more that I get to receive in those opportunities. When it's done, no matter what they say, I feel God's pleasure simply at the fact that I've obeyed. Not that I've won someone to Christ, not that I've done some grand gesture, but simply in the fact that I would obey what he asked me to do. And through that, I get to receive even more joy. So I want to encourage us as we go through this Christmas season, think about the things that God desires for us. And and again, I, I do believe that there is no coincidence that Jesus connects joy and prayer. Because I believe when we pray in Jesus' name, when we pray in line with his character, when we pray for things that are in accord with his purpose and his mission, even if it's not the answer we expect or we want, I do believe that he fills us with his joy. And that joy is lasting and complete. And not only does that joy come through transformation, God transforming a bad situation into one that brings joy, but a lot of times he transforms us through that situation and brings us 
the joy that we desire. I don't know where you are this morning. Um, Perhaps you're here and you're hearing about Jesus for the first time. You're hearing about my story of of being um, in pain and sorrow at the realization of my own sin. Maybe you're feeling some of that same feeling. That you're realizing your own sinfulness, your own brokenness. And I pray that you would not stay in that situation, but that, that you would come to know the joy of putting your trust in Jesus Christ, knowing that you are forgiven, that you'll spend eternity in heaven, and that you have a relationship with God, and you now can experience the abundant life that God desires for you. Perhaps you've trusted Christ long ago, and you're just facing a difficult situation. And you've been praying and praying and praying, and you're not getting the answer that, that you've expected. I would just encourage you to continue praying, but, but as Jesus prayed, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And keep looking for how God may be turning that situation from one of sorrow and pain to one of joy. My prayer for each and every one of us here this morning is that you would experience the joy that comes through transformation and that it would transform you. At this time, we do something that's called Take Two. And this is an opportunity, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see there's a little space there for you to write a couple things down. We just want to take two minutes, and I want everyone to think about what is God saying to me this morning? What is God saying to me? Because I believe that everyone here has a next step that God wants you to take. And during this two minutes, just write something down. Whatever that next step is that God is calling you to take, write something down, and then write down underneath that what you will do about it, what you're going to do about it this week. Let's take two.